0: This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Crismire. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988.
1: That's 804-754-1988. And now, with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Crismire. One
0: of my favorite Bible verses is that no weapon formed against you shall prosper and every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment you shall declare wrong. Well, the problem is that there is a weapon that is being forged and has been forged since the Garden of Eden and was forged even against Jesus and is being forged against you to bring you down, to keep you from prospering in the kingdom, to keep you even from the face of the, of the Lord and to bring you down, even from your eternal destiny. It's called shame. People used to say, shame on you, and shame on me. Well, the problem with shame is that it has very serious consequences, believe it or not. Shame actually is not necessarily a bad thing initially, if it produces the right result. But the problem is, we will do anything possible, humanly, to avoid shame, even lying to ourselves, even lying to ourselves, deceiving ourselves, to avoid shame. The Bible talks about being ashamed over and over again. I am not ashamed to lift up my face, said Ezra. The psalmist said, let all my enemies be ashamed. Then the psalmist also in Psalm 25 said, let me not be ashamed, let not my enemies triumph over me. Over and over again, this word shame or ashamed is mentioned in the Bible. Interestingly, the prophet Jeremiah had a very, well, potent thing to say. He was talking about the spiritual leaders of his time. He was talking about the pastors and the priests and uh, he was talking about the leaders of the people, and he was talking about their adultery, he was talking about their uh, just blatant behavior that was contrary to the word, the will, and the ways of the Lord. And he said this, they were not ashamed, neither could they blush. Is it possible that shame could bring us to a right relationship with the Lord, but if wrongly approached, could destroy us and could keep us even from blushing when we ought to repent. Today on Viewpoint, we're going to talk about the power of shame. The power of shame, and you may not be familiar with this. Uh, It may be something that you really would rather not talk about. But we really do need to talk about it, because shame is powerful, it's potent, and it has the ability to destroy us. So our special guest today, Steve Foss, is bringing us his book called Satan's Big Fat Lie, exposing the enemy's greatest weapon being unleashed today. Well, it began to be unleashed, Steve, way back in the Garden of Eden, didn't
1: it? Certainly did Fact, and, the uh, first you, manifestation, yeah. It's the you first could, manifestation of sin we see in the garden.
0: You could say actually it was unleashed there in the heavenlies when Lucifer himself, who was the uh, the worship leader in heaven, so to speak, he was the greatest, most beautiful created being, decided he was going to be like the Most High God, and he was not ashamed to claim that he was equal with God. So being not ashamed is not a good thing either
1: correct you know the right the, 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 well you know, that's a very good point that you bring up because there is a shame from our true rejection of god and our walking away from from the reality of who christ is but then there's the curse of shame which is being used against believers and was even used against jesus we'll get there a little bit later but used against jesus on the cross
0: well sure and
1: it's at, and it's what we're seeing driving the whole cultural revolution that's happening right now.
0: In fact, cancel culture is all driven by shame, isn't it?
1: It, Absolutely. If you think about it, it really brings it all down. In fact, I saw an interview the other day, and uh, they were asking college students about ancient or old uh, nursery rhymes, and they couldn't remember what they were. And then one of them talked about, said uh, used the phrase, she went up the hill or something like that. And then the interviewer said, well, how do you know it was a woman? And this young man uh, looked like a football player, attractive young man, very Uh smart, intelligent, Ivy League. He said, I don't want to be canceled. I'm so afraid to even speak what the nursery rhyme actually said, because I'm afraid of being shamed for calling the character who in the nursery rhyme is a woman, a female.
0: In other words, shame is used extremely powerfully today. To manipulate, to compel, to force uh, into false beliefs, into uh, being quiet when we should speak. Uh, it is extremely powerful.
1: Yeah, it's being used. In fact, probably the greatest example of that was during the entire season of COVID. Oh, it was yeah. Shame driven. Shame on you. In fact, many, many churches shut down not because they didn't believe in the healing power of God, but they were afraid of being shamed. What if somebody in your church gets COVID? What if somebody dies? Shame on you. In fact, I'm uh, friends with Dr. Rodney Howard Brown, who here in Florida got arrested for having church, and he actually had installed $100,000 worth of uh, equipment that cleansed the air. Professionals said his church was cleaner than any ICU unit in the entire United States. But another preacher sent in a spy into a service, took pictures at an angle, went to the media, and all of a sudden this shame explosion. The local uh, sheriff arrested him. The national media covered it nonstop, even though three days later the governor here in Florida said churches are essential. But the power of shame Shame on you, you got arrested. Shame on you, you don't care, Pastor, about people if you want to have church. And so, so many churches cowered. Then the vaccines. Shame on you, you don't want to have a, have a vaccine. Shame on you, you don't want to wear a mask. It was driven. We saw this thing take off to control and manipulate, as you said so powerfully, well, a we generation.
0: Have, we have all been familiar with uh, the concept of peer pressure. Uh, growing up, and we we thought that that was uh, related only to young people, particularly teenagers. But shame is like a corollary, a peer pressure. And uh, nobody wants to feel shame because then they feel ostracized. They don't feel like they're accepted. They don't feel like they're in. And nobody wants to be the object of scorn. Nobody wants to be the object of derision and yet jesus himself was the object of scorn and derision and he said now i want you to follow me why do you think you should be different than your lord on the other hand steve we really do think we should be different than our lord don't we <laughs>
1: so also, we we want all the benefits but not the price
0: ah the benefits without the burden uh-huh. in other words,
1: give, give let me live in the power of the resurrection But don't require me to carry a cross.
0: Well, here was Jesus looking, and we're supposed to look unto Jesus for the joy that was set before him who endured the cross, despising the shame. Maybe we should talk about that right out of the book of Hebrews. We'll be right back, friends. The power of shame. Can you relate to what we're talking about yet? Are you under the power of shame? We'll be right back Welcome back to Viewpoint, friends. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. This conversation is always with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. We're confronting the deepest issues of America's heart and home from God's eternal perspective. Our program here is not primarily about politics. It's not about economics. And yet we talk about politics. We talk about economics. We talk about all of the issues of our time, but not in the way that they are spoken about on the various aspects of radio and television in the culture. No matter whether you're liberal or conservative, we're here to look at things from God's perspective. And that's hard to do because we're shamed over and over again for purporting to do so. How dare you? How dare you purport to speak on behalf of God? How dare you purport to speak authoritatively with regard to what the Bible says, or God says, don't you realize that not everybody agrees with that? Do you know what that is, friends? That is shaming. That's what it is. It's shaming. It's an effort to try to quiet you down. And if you think that shaming occurs only in the culture as a whole, you have not had your eyes opened yet. Shaming is very powerful, even in the church. Even among pastors, it's very powerful and very controlling and manipulative. And today on Viewpoint, we're talking about this uh, whole matter of shame, and it comes in many different aspects. And ultimately, we'll see, we're going to see how this leads us even to the end times. Exactly. This is exactly what we're talking about. This is what Jesus warned about. This is what the apostles warned about. Mm Mm-hmm. And so here we are with our special guest and friend, Steve Foss, and his book, Satan's Big Fat Lie, exposing the enemy's greatest weapon being unleashed today, this matter of shame. I want to make the book available to you right now for $20. Right there on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Bonk 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. We'll get the book in your hands. And I do not believe you will be disappointed. You might be challenged, but you won't be disappointed because the reality is, you dare not, we dare not walk in illegitimate shame, you say illegitimate shame is there a legitimate shame? well, yes, there is a legitimate shame, but why, Steve is there a legitimate shame, and why would that be
1: the reality is, and this is where in fact it's i'm great that you bring this up because. There is a shame to rejecting God and and the authority of God. Mm -hmm. You know, the essence of sin is the rejection of God's legal right of authority over our lives.
0: So the problem is is authority, isn't it? It's God's authority, which is an illustration of his love, not loving, but love. And if we reject his authority, the reality is it's impossible for us to truly love God. Therefore, we will walk in shame.
1: Well, no, absolutely. And as we submit, in fact, salvation is all rooted in reversing what happened in the Garden, in the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. Adam and Eve rejected God's rightful authority. Because you cannot do an action of sin until you first in your heart reject the authority. They God said, don't eat of the tree in the midst of the Garden. They rejected, Eve rejected God's authority. And then partook of the fruit,
0: okay, but we don't very... see it that way. The, <laughs> the majority of us don't see it that way. We think especially in the last 50, 60 years of American culture, that uh, you know we have the right to think as we will, to do as we want. Uh, this is part of what it means to to be free. And so therefore, uh, we can you know we can be the man of La Mancha. Uh, the the, uh, captain of our soul, and therefore we can believe in God without actually agreeing with him.
1: Well, you know, the Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And the implication is there where the spirit of the Lord is in control. Mm -hmm. That's why it also says if you are... Uh, those who are led by the Spirit will not fulfill the works of the flesh. Right. And the concept that I can just believe in God, well, we know the Bible says even the devil believes in God.
0: Exactly. It's
1: an issue of that God has the right of authority. Now, because God has all of his attributes equally at the same time, he is the God of love. He's also the God of justice. He's the God of righteousness all equally. He's not like sometimes loving, sometimes merciful, and sometimes the God of judgment and justice. He's all of his attributes at the same time. So you cannot separate the righteousness of God, the holiness of God, the justice of God from the mercy and love of God.
0: Exactly. So
1: so if you try to have the love of God without the mercy of God, or without, without the uh, uh, righteousness of God, it doesn't exist. Those, those things are not exclusive. They cannot exist apart from each other.
0: And because of that, we desperately need the mercy of God. The Absolutely. problem with that is that to need to believe you need the mercy of God requires that you agree that you have sinned. And that is untenable in the so-called grace age.
1: Well, this is where the, one of the great confusions about the grace message.
0: Thank you. And
1: why the grace message, the hyper-grace message, as I call it, which actually, in its root, has been trying to deal with the issue of shame. Mm-hmm. But they tried to deal with the issue of shame by removing all By removing sin and the consequences of sin. So, in other words, if you're sleeping around with a girlfriend, well, don't be ashamed. It's already forgiven. That's never what the Bible said. What happens is they've confused grace and mercy. Yes. See, mercy. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Have
0: you you been listening to this program for the past 27 (laughs) years? Have you been reading my book, Steve? I mean, it's as if we're two twin brothers here
1: it's i think we're listening to the same same holy spirit is what's really <laughs> happening because mercy is when you're guilty and you don't have to pay the consequences for your guilt thank god for his mercies and his mercies endure forever but we are not saved by mercy
0: we're saved by we are grace saved through faith
1: by grace through faith exactly all right and so yeah go ahead
0: so this matter of grace has turned into disgrace we've actually dissed the grace of god by shifting the words and getting rid of the word mercy replacing it with the word grace much like the secular community did with regard to the word homosexual and replacing it with the word gay that's what we did with grace and mercy Now, the the interesting thing here is that there are consequences for doing that. And the consequence, as I see it, and just as you were talking, I'm thinking back in the 1970s, there was a bumper sticker that came out. It said, screw guilt. That's what it said, screw guilt. It was an expression of Freudian psychology or psychiatry. And that very same spirit was adopted by the church by redefining grace. In other words, well, let me, screw sin, we've got right. grace, and therefore we can act as we will.
1: You know, in in, in the book Satan Speaks That Lie, I start off with a phenomenal vision. I actually had three, this vision over a period of 20 years, three incredible experiences. And a lot of it showed about the end-time battle and the end-time army. And, you know, God sometimes will give visions that, are, that kind of are more like allegory. They show you and reveal truth to you. And in the vision, I saw this great end-time battle between the army of God and the enemy, and the enemy picked up uh, these slingshots full of hot, steamy dung, and they were the works of the flesh, and they threw it at the body of Christ. Every single person got hit. Now, some just got nicked on a toe or on a leg. Others mm. got it in the chest. Mm. Others on the face. What was fascinating about this vision was as whatever we tried to do to get the dung off, and, and it was acidic. It was like eating through whatever it touched. It was <laughs> sin. It was <laughs> well, that's what the sin flat. does. That's what it does. Everything we tried to do to scrape it off, nothing worked. It only spread to whatever else we used to try to scrape it off. And a panic began to hit in the body of Christ. And, I, I, you know, I'm in the vision, so I, we start crying out, what do we do? What do we do? And the, the Lord spoke, and he was on this most magnificent horse like you've never seen before. Eyes focused straight forward on the task ahead of him. And the voice of the Lord said, look unto me. And the moment we looked unto him and got our eyes focused on him, it was a bright, brilliant light shot out from him. It instantly cleansed us from all of the dung and restored us. But those who didn't focus on him and keep their eyes focused on him, the dung kept growing and growing and spreading until eventually they became overwhelmed by it. Mm -hmm. Now, later on in the vision, there was a move of the Holy Spirit that that dried the dung out and blew it away, and they began to stand up. But as they stood up, they were attacked by these black crows that were coming and screaming at him, but they were not just making noises they were screaming shame 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 and they were trying to pluck their eyes out and there was an angel there who said that shame will blind your spiritual vision mm-hmm. one of the reasons i wrote this book so so urgently is the what we're seeing in our culture played out what we're seeing in the church played out what we're seeing this this massive assault of shame is going to blind our spiritual vision. It's meant to overcome us and defeat us. But the answer is in truly seeing Jesus as he really is, not as this phony, just lovey dovey, you know, Jesus that doesn't care about anything. And he says, Well, oh, I just love you. It doesn't matter, you know, however you are. But Christ, the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, as he really is. And only as we see him and respond to him as he really is will we truly walk free from shame.
0: Well, that's true. And the reason for that is that in order to, uh, shall we say, uh, qualify for his messiahship, uh, he had to endure the cross and despise the shame of the cross. In other words, he called by God as the very Son of God, was mocked, ridiculed, derided, and ultimately crucified. And you can imagine, here he is hanging on a cross for having done nothing but righteousness and holiness and love of the people from God's perspective. Then he turns around in John sixteen two and says, now, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. So we don't like that, though. We okay. say, no, that's not right. If we're truly loving, we won't have to endure the same thing that Jesus did. What say you to that?
1: Well, that's uh, completely unscriptural. It has no, no basis in Scripture. In fact, Paul said, those who live God, they shall suffer persecution. Or
0: shame for the gospel.
1: That's right. Shame for the gospel. What's interesting. It also Paul with that I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now, here's a man who was the, one of the highest in the Jewish order of, of Pharisees and, and on the way to be uh, the high priest, many believe, but in a high position. And here he is being persecuted now for the gospel that he used to persecute others and right. being shamed and rejected by his family, rejected by other Jews, rejected by his whole peer circle. Right. He says, I am not ashamed. Now, what's interesting is, Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Right. But it, it, it's interesting, because in twelve one, he says, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us. Now. We can easily understand how sin ensnares us, but what are these weights? And I believe the weight is shame, because he then goes to the very next verse and says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame.
0: In other words, words he didn't consider the shame worthy of uh, putting aside the very holy and righteous purpose that God had intended for him. And uh, the same should be true for us. We're called to be ambassadors of the kingdom of God. And if you're truly an ambassador for the kingdom of God, then you're going to be attacked with shame. You're going to be increasingly attacked with accusations of shame, persecution. It comes in all kinds of different flavors, but ultimately, as you said, it is the power of shame to destroy, to manipulate, to control. Friends, if you don't want to be controlled by the power of shame, you really want, might want a serious kiddie, uh, Consider getting a copy of his book, Satan's Big Fat Lie, $20 on our website, saveus.org.
2: Prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org.
0: Lamentably, we're more like Adam and Eve, our forebearers, than we would care to believe. In fact, we're exactly like them. And we respond the same way they did. And that's why Jesus had to come as the last Adam, because the first Adam messed up, and ended up in horrible shame that's right so let me ask you a question my friend out there you got any fig leaves available (laughs) you have any fig leaves available friend you know what that's what adam and eve used so what fig leaves are you using to cover over your shame well let's suppose that you have been involved in pornography Seventy percent of professing Christian men claim to be involved in pornography. Thirty-plus percent of our pastors claim that it's a big problem for them personally. Thirty-four percent of Christian women admit to seeking pornography. Any shame in your court about that? Or maybe you're so used to it now you can't even blush. Now that's really serious. Because now you've moved from shame to a reprobate mind. Can you see how serious this problem is? This is a big deal. And when I first came across Steve Foss's book, Satan's Big Fat Lie, I I really didn't like the title of the book myself. I really didn't like the title. But when I got into the book, oh my, this book deals with a very, very serious and important issue for all of us, every one of us. Not just you out there in listener land, but Steve and I, we're human beings just like you are. We put our pants on one leg at a time just like you do. Steve, you pastored a number of churches, haven't you? Yes, sir. Have you ever felt shame yourself?
1: <laughs> you know, you, you deal with that in so many levels. Uh, as a pastor, uh, there's so much pressure to perform.
0: Oh, absolutely. I grew up in a pastor's home for fifty years. I've pastored for thirty five years myself. and uh, pastors are attacked with this, and shame is being used to manipulate pastors not to speak the truth of the gospel in its whole, in its in its fullness.
1: You know when if you go to a pastor's conference, I'm sure you've been to many, you know the number one question they ask the other pastors is in just casual, casual conversation. Go ahead. So, how many people are you running? See, they don't even want to know. Did our souls being saved? or lives being changed?
0: Yeah, it's all uh, about the are, which, numbers, isn't it?
1: And if you don't have the numbers, then you're not succeeding. If you're not in other words, they're shaming you. you. Yes.
0: It just galls me when uh, someone is going to my my producer talks to somebody about bringing them on the program here and every once in a while the question comes up well how many listeners do you have it's irrelevant it's utterly and totally irrelevant if people had asked that of Jesus he would have been shamed into silence immediately wouldn't he i mean after all by the time his ministry was over, he lost every single one of his followers, including his own disciples. Talk about shame.
1: Yes. This is why we have to learn how the, the strategies of how to truly overcome it. You know, I, I remember we had a, uh, our church was actually exploding, doing very well, numerically. And so I was getting a bit on the radar nationally, and people were really drawn to us, and we had a, a a service where the presence of God came in so heavy, such an awe of Him, that I never preached. I spent the entire time at the altar weeping.
2: Hmm. The
1: altars were filled with people weeping before God. We were so awed by His presence and His holiness, and a lot of conviction, a lot of repentance. I had a very—I won't say who he is, but a very famous man who has 10 church campuses he got on the phone with me that next week and rebuked me and he said steve you can't build a great church like that it makes too many people uncomfortable
0: see it was all about building a great church now here's the problem with that jesus said i'll build my church you make disciples we've decided to build churches and have failed to make disciples and that's our problem we're not even ashamed of it
1: and then even worse crises has happened because what happens when the pastor when the minister faces crises in his life mm-hmm. in, in his family, I adopted a young man uh, he was actually a legal adult when we adopted him, and the Lord put us on this mission. He was horribly horrible um, drug addiction background. Mm-hmm. both of his parents were addicts. he was a major drug dealer as a teenager. I mean he actually owned three drug houses
0: oh, at my. eighteen
1: years old i mean he was it was a bad deal we brought we brought him into our kind home, of like
0: the got, apostle paul he was a murderer
1: yeah we brought him into our home and he was he was uh, uh he, he got tremendously delivered but about four years later had a horrible tooth infection they put him on opiates and he got hooked again oh my and for three and a half years we walked through the worst heroin and meth addiction Every bad story you've ever heard, I experienced hmm. as pastoring. Now we're known as a church of people getting delivered and saved and healed. And then people, are like, well, if you're so anointed,
0: then why you, are you, you having this do? problem?
1: That's right. Uh huh. And then what other people wanted to do, including leaders, they wanted me just to throw him out.
0: I'm sure they did to, because just, it was embarrassing just, to them. It was shaming exactly. them.
1: And my son, who had become overcome again with the sin that originally gripped his life, I remember chasing him down on the street. I found him one day, and he was waiting for a drug buddy, and I, I grabbed him and was talking to him. And when his drug buddy showed up, he just said, I'll see you later, Dad. And all of a sudden, God opened my eyes, and I, I, it's like I saw in the spirit, and I saw this friend of his, and I saw pure darkness on the outside and pure darkness on the inside. But when I saw my son, I saw darkness on the outside that he had surrendered himself to, but I saw the glorious blue-white light on the inside, and the Lord spoke to me. He said, I fight for that which is mine. He had walked away from God. He was away from God, and he believed himself to be what he became trapped in. Mm-hmm. But he had made a confession of Christ. Now, I'm not saying at that moment, should he had he died, he would have made it to heaven. But I'm saying he did have a born-again experience, and the Spirit of God was still on the inside of him. And, and so when people told me to give up, I said, how can I give up? God said, I fight for that which is mine. And we walked through such an intensity battle. I mean, it was – my body got affected. My, my ministry got affected.
0: I'm attacked. sure it did.
1: Because I would not let go of the one. I would not let go. And let me tell you a story because this is for some listeners. There was a time during this process, I had him up in Alaska, was trying to help him uh, get a, a new start, but he ended up back on the streets. And it was end of September, and the rains had kicked in. It was winter was coming. It was about 40 degrees. He had been out uh, on the streets for three days, hadn't had any food. He had only a light jacket, which wasn't waterproofed, and he was soaked. He was probably going to die of hypothermia that night, and he was on the street screaming and cussing out God. He said, you're a liar. You're a liar. And he was using every foul language you can. He said, you said you'd never leave me and forsake me. After 30 minutes of cussing God out, he kept walking. He said the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, turn down this alley. He said he was shocked to hear the voice of God. He walked down this long alley, and there was a a, a dumpster at the end of the alley, and the Holy Spirit said there's a bag next to it. Open it up. He opened up the bag. There was a $400 waterproof brand-new ski jacket in that garbage bag. Oh, my. My son also had uh, couldn't eat anything with gluten, and underneath it was boxes and boxes of gluten-free nutrition bars. <laughs> and he put on the jacket. And sounds like,
0: sounds gluten, like a heavenly delivery of manna.
1: And he yes, and he sat there and he cried and he said, I just cursed you out. I just told you I wanted to have nothing to do with you, and yet you had prepared this for me. You see, there's a part of shame, too. It's like I never, I never withdrew from dealing with him on his sin. I never backed away from calling him out on his rebellion, but I also never gave up.
0: Right. Okay.
1: And if, if we don't learn how to overcome shame ourselves, even the shame of being associated with somebody that's failing, that we're not going to be able to love also the way Jesus loved. Because he is not ashamed to call us brethren.
0: (laughs) Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. You know, you have really captured something important here, Steve, in this book. And uh, there's so many aspects to this. We could call it corollaries, uh, whatever you want to call it. So many aspects to this. And uh, God does not want us to walk in shame, but we of necessity do walk in shame when we don't repent of our sin, when we don't confess it, when we don't turn from it. That gives Satan the opportunity to accuse the brethren. When the uh, Scripture talks about accusing the brethren day and night, what it is is just a way of of shaming the brethren. Isn't that correct?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah absolutely right. So
0: we give but, him but the authority to do sin. that.
1: Yeah. The answer isn't denying the sin. The answer is taking full responsibility and coming before the g- throne of God confessing, repenting, giving him the authority back mm-hmm. and then walking in that mercy and love and grace that he pours out upon us.
0: Now we see as it.
1: we respond to him.
0: That is that is absolutely right. You know, we have a classic illustration of this in the first two kings of Israel. Uh, king Saul, head and shoulders above all the others, anointed by God to be the first king of Israel. But he decided to elevate himself to equality with God and uh, do what he decided to do the way he decided to do it, notwithstanding what God said. And so he equivocated with God and said, and he was all proud of it. Went to Samuel the prophet and said, look what I did that God said told me to do. And Samuel says, well, what then does this beating, bleeding of the sheep mean? What, what did you do? And uh, so Saul responds by putting on, shall we say, figurative fig leaves. He <laughs> says, you know what? Uh, the people made me do it. You know what? We decided to uh, save the best in order to sacrifice to God. In other words, he rationalized his sin. And because he rationalized his sin and refused to repent, God took his Holy Spirit from him, and Saul walked in shame for the rest of his kingship. Didn't he? Yeah. Then we'll talk about David when we get back. Just the opposite. Friends, you don't want to be a Saul, you want to be a David. What does that mean?
2: incredible but the same can be found right now go to save us.org and click sell church we can revive first century christianity for the 21st century it's about people not programs it's about a body not a building that's save us.org click sell church
0: two kings of israel the first two kings king saul left in shame, was destroyed in shame before God and the people. So much so that he actually begged the prophet to do him honor and to show up when God himself wouldn't show up. Why? Because Saul refused to humble himself and repent. Just refused. But David, totally different. David sinned just as egregiously as Saul did. But when he was brought to account by Nathan the prophet, he responded just the opposite. He was ashamed, all right. He was ashamed of his sin. But then he said, I have sinned. Yes. I have sinned. And he repented. And because of that, he was restored. He didn't have to put on any fig leaves, did he, Steve?
1: No, you know the fig leaves. Um, the Bible says in Genesis chapter two that Adam and Eve were naked, yeah, and were not
0: ashamed. ashamed. Exactly.
1: But the but in, in Genesis three seven, the first thing when they saw that they were naked, they were already naked. The Bible says
0: exactly. But what they
1: did is they felt shame, so they grabbed fig fig leaves. Now this is really interesting because I was just recently speaking with um, uh, archaeological experts and scholars in Jerusalem and. and and they believe that it's very likely the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was a fig tree. Hmm. And in fact, when Jesus cursed the fig tree and said, No man eat fruit of here you from here on out, it wasn't just that fig tree, and he wasn't just showing a, a message on faith. He was saying, In me, you, people will no longer look to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and eat from that tree. It's very likely Adam and Eve took leaves, from that tree, the tree of wisdom of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, man's wisdom yeah. and use that to try to cover their own sins
0: well exact well that's exactly uh, it's a figurative expression of what humankind does we've yeah. watched it from coast to coast in the churches uh it's just part of the human propensity isn't it
2: we yeah. either rep- we, use- we
0: either confess our sin and turn from it or we don't. If we don't, we walk not in conviction of the Holy Spirit, but in condemnation by Satan himself. We Which, bring did, it on ourselves.
1: Absolutely. you know. And the difference between conviction and condemnation, when it's conviction, there's a clear answer of what to do. Repent. turn, Look unto Jesus. Turn mm-hmm. unto him. Condemnation, no matter how many times you say you're sorry, it just keeps beating you down, beating you down that's that's when you know it's the spirit of shame. It's the curse of shame.
0: All right, so somebody is going to come up and say, quote, uh, Romans chapter 8, where there's now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, but the problem is with that is it requires that you be walking in the spirit and not in the flesh. So if you're walking in the in the spirit, there's no condemnation because you are responding to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you're confessing your sin, you're turning from it, therefore there's no condemnation and no shame. But if you refuse to walk in the Holy Spirit, if you decide that you're going to continue to frolic and fornicate, if you decide you're going to continue to engage in your pornography, if you decide you're going to continue to cheat on your income taxes, or whatever it is, then you are going to walk in shame and be subject to condemnation even though you claim to be a believer, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, And you were talking about David in Psalm 34, which was from the cave of Adullam. Uh, Dave, David there's so many powerful things in here. He talks about the humble show here of it. So he's speaking from an attitude of humility. Verse 4, he says, I sought the Lord, and he heard me. Now, that may seem generic, but you have to know throughout all scripture God said repeatedly if you do not repent if you keep doing your own way I will not hear you oh so- no wait a minute
0: that isn't taught these days <laughs> that you know major parts of the Bible are not taught people say well, my pastor preaches the Bible my pastor preaches the word yes but not all of it and there's the problem you see one of the reasons he doesn't preach the whole word is because he's ashamed of doing so, because he's afraid that you will not respond favorably. So he's ashamed yeah. of the gospel.
1: Hey, absolutely. We don't want to lay that out. So he said, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Well, there's no deliverance from fear, true deliverance from fear, In fact, the whole again, the whole culture, cancel culture, and uh, the pandemic, the fear of shame, yeah, the fear of dying, but the fear of shame is what drove so much of it. But then he says this: they looked to him and were became radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. Mm. Now, in the line of what you've been saying, we got to put all the word together. Yeah, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. So the inference there, the implication very strong. without a repentant life that comes into alignment with God, with agreement with him, you won't see him. It's only as you see him that you become like him, that you become radiant, and that he delivers you from all your shame.
0: All right. Now, I am convinced, Steve, that we are on the near edge of the second coming. We don't know the day or the hour, but I think all of the evidence, and I'm a a former trial attorney for 20 years, the evidence is so manifest that we need to take this seriously. And if that is true, you are saying that shame is, is one of the key factors that is going to drive and is driving the move to the new world order and even the antichrist
1: it it is i would say it is the single largest weapon the enemy is and will use in ever-increasing measure Mm -hmm. to manipulate to threaten uh and to get us off course and we've made ourselves vulnerable in the church two great Two main errors in the church have made ourselves vulnerable. Number one, we've been hitting it all hour long with the wrong grace message. Instead of confronting sin, because the only deliverance from it is in repentance. Right. The second thing is there's hardly any teaching when you go into, again, many of the churches. They don't talk about the second coming of Christ. We are not being, we're not focused on who Jesus really is. You know, you think about this, in all the times that the Christ appeared to people or the God appeared to people in the Bible, is there one time that anybody saw God and went, oh, isn't he lovely? No. (laughs) Every time they they fell to their knees as though dead, they cried out, depart from me, I'm an evil man, they cried, holy, holy, holy. So I believe the preparation in the end times is two main things. One. We're going to have come to a great, a greater revelation of the holiness of God, mm-hmm. which will deliver us from shame.
0: And it's going and, to also divide uh, the sheep from the goats, so to speak. It's going to divide those who profess to be believers.
1: Well, you know, as, as the harvest is ripe, the wheat and the tares, the reason it's so profound is because when the wheat matures, when we come into our maturity as the body of Christ, the wheat bends over, it humbles itself, mm. and the tares become very clear. They're standing up straight and Wow. Tall.
0: Okay, well, there's an insight. Uh, I hadn't heard that particular insight. That's great. Now, we need to uh, direct our attention to hope. Uh, the Bible yes. says that hope makes not ashamed. Yes. <laughs> so how can we say that hope makes not ashamed? What is that hope, anyway?
1: Well, you know, I believe the entire focus in what you've just begun to hit on is the hope, you know, in Ephesians he says, "Put on hope, you know, a mm-hmm. helmet, it's the hope, the helmet of salvation. But it says later on in scriptures in Thessalonians it calls it the the hope of salvation." right? That salvation is not our being born again. and it includes it, but that's not what he's focused on, that word salvation speaks of the second coming of Christ it is as we're focused on his return on that he's coming back and this is what we don't talk about much he's coming back here to Mm -hmm. rule and reign here right for a thousand years I tell people stop you keep talking about your bucket list want to see the Grand Canyon you'll have plenty of time Jesus (laughs) is coming back here and we, who are his bride, we are going to rule and reign with him here. And James says, those that have this hope purify themselves. It's amazing what we're, we'll be able to go through when we're so filled with the hope. No matter how crazy the government goes, no matter how crazy woke cor- corporations go, no matter how much pressure's out there, we know Jesus is coming back. He's going to take over all the kingdoms of the earth. He's going to establish righteousness in the earth, and we will stand by his side, in, ruling and reigning with him.
0: In spite of all of the efforts of the culture, the politicians, the pontificators, the prime ministers, the popes, and even priests and pastors to manipulate and to make us ashamed in order to control and get us to do what they want us to do, if we will press on in hope, we will not be ashamed in the end times. All right, here's what the uh, first John, the beloved disciple said, and now little children abide in him, that is Jesus, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming and not be ashamed at his coming in other words we could be ashamed but here's what the scripture also says whoever has this hope in him again first John chapter 3 verses 2 to 3 whoever has that hope in him will purify himself even as Christ is pure. Now, that's the issue, isn't it? Because otherwise, you're going to put on a fig leaf, and you will be ashamed in the evil day. You will be ashamed at the coming of Christ. When you stand before him, you will be ashamed, unless you're walking in humility and confessing your sin as the Holy Spirit brings it to your heart and to your mind. And isn't it wonderful, Steve? that if we will confess our sin and turn from it, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse (laughs) us from all unrighteousness so we don't have to put on a fig leaf in his presence.
2: Amen.
1: (laughs) I couldn't say it better.
0: Wow. You know what? (laughs) You have just brought up just such a wonderful, wonderful uh, subject here. Uh, the Apostle Peter talks about this also. He said, If you're reproached for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Yeah. And if anyone suffers as a Christian, don't let you shouldn't be ashamed, but glorify God for that. But he said, Don't let anybody be reproached for your own sin, your own bad attitude, your own uh rebellion, your own uh dissing of what God says. You're not going to get any credit for that. You will walk in shame.
1: Yeah, that uh, you know it, you're summarizing it so well. But there's so much, so much of the depth of understanding how we can walk free. We're going to walk free, and the world and the, the, the manipulation will have no power over those who learn to be like Jesus, despising the shame. There it is. They will overcome and they will fulfill their
0: destiny. We could call it no more fig leaves, right? <laughs> <I guess so. laughs> All right, friends. Steve Foss, our special guest today, exposing the enemy's greatest weapon being unleashed today. And uh, I think you can understand why he would say that. Your gift of $20 or more to save America Ministries is going to put this tremendous book in your hands. And uh, I hope you'll get it. I hope you'll tell your friends about this program. Uh... Tell your friends, Romans, and countrymen about it. Get the message out and uh, get a copy of the book. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us and become a partner, friends. Today is the day of salvation. Let's get the message out. God bless and be a blessing.